The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Waltz. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. Our guest today is Antoine Desmet, who is the Analytics Manager at Komatsu. Hey, Antoine. Welcome to the AI Today podcast. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. So we'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit about your background and your current role at Komatsu. Okay. My background, I started as a networks and telecom engineer for the mining industry underground. And I guess I was conveying all that data, but I wanted to do a a little bit more than helping it get to the surface. Went to do a PhD in neural network for three and a half years. That was a great time. I had a lot of focus on what I was doing. One of the best moments is when I, I had time and the focus to actually look at those learning models to actually learn. So seeing all the feedback going through and the model slowly learning and training itself in that great detail. So that's really when I caught the bug. At the end of my PhD, I went back to Komatsu and started Surface Analytics team in Australia. At the time, there were a lot of data, but very few analytics. So I started using machine learning and way more uh, modern approaches. And in the last four years, we've grown from one to 10 people. So it's been quite successful. Wow. Yeah, definitely. Well, we were definitely very impressed. You know, we basically saw a demonstration of and an explanation and a deep dive into what Komatsu is doing with artificial intelligence and machine learning at a recent presentation that you gave at a vendor event. And you mentioned something that sort of maybe was new to us in some ways, but maybe new to a lot of our listeners, and that's about the digital mind and the role that artificial intelligence and machine learning has with that. So can you explain sort of just maybe for some of our listeners, our, you know, our listeners are a lot of enterprises and a lot of vendors and folks who are putting artificial intelligence and machine learning into practice. And we regularly have these interviews with folks like you from a wide range of industries. So they're not necessarily in your industry. So can you explain, you know, what the digital mind is, you know, why it's important, and of course, the role of artificial intelligence and machine learning in making it a reality? Sure. So I'll start with a bit of history to see how that came about. Mines have always had a lot of very big and expensive machineries with very like some complex control systems. So we sort of are always had a lot of data, probably dating back you know, one or two decades for a simple reason, like you need a lot of sensors on those machines to keep them humming and ticking. You don't want a runaway mining truck. You don't want those things. So they already have a lot of sensors, temperature sensors, for example, because you got a lot of fire hazards. Uh, in the past, all that sensor data was acquired. It was used by the machine's control system to control how much power or how much energy was going in the machine. And as soon as that current data was used to control the machine, it wasn't retained. It was It didn't go beyond the control loop, basically. Around the mid-2000s, I think some visionary in Komatsu, it was then P&H, they decided, well, all this data, we're going to try and retain it, upload it to central servers so we can have it at our disposal. I guess the industry started to follow that trend where it just started to store a lot of data from all their machines around the mine. 
But at the time, a lot of it was done for what I call like post-mortem analysis. So you had a problem, something went wrong, you didn't want it to happen again, you wanted to understand what happened. So thanks to all that data, everything was recorded. So you could see the whole lead up to that problem that you had. And that was a bit of a revolution, but still a bit far from analytics. If you consider underground mining, it was also a great thing. Like you didn't have to travel half an hour or an hour down in the pit just to see what your machine was doing. You could see it live from the surface. Uh, it was a big thing in the, at the time. I think in the early or mid 2012, that's where the um, what I see as the digital mine really started to happen. The algorithms for machine learning became mainstream. You had Spark that allow you to do huge analytic job on a very, very fine scale. You had computers that were powerful with memories big enough to hold a large data set. So suddenly that opened up a lot of opportunity and all that data that the industry had been storing without really knowing what to do with it, there were now opportunities. So people could ask very detailed questions and get very detailed answers out of them. So just an example, one of our customers done pull out like a 10 years worth of maintenance data on some of our equipment so they can really deep dive into their maintenance data and understand exactly the long-term cost of owning those, those assets. You're able to also make very fine models of how your parts wear. Suddenly, you're not changing your parts every 10,000 hours like you change your oil or timing belt in your car. You can try and use those models to get as much of the life that's in those parts for one. And then for two, reduce the uncertainty about having those failures that happen without you knowing. So yeah, there's been a revolution at the moment. People have all of those things that previously you just used industry standard or previous experience or hunches, and now you can really get data to optimize your strategy. And I think the next big development is in geology and exploration. So they can now have drones flying over areas they're interested in mining with ground penetrating radars. So they get very high resolution scans of what's under the surface of the earth. And that generates lots of data and you're going to move away from the geologist drilling holes, hoping to strike gold, pun intended. And now you're really doing big data analytics on this. Yeah. You know, one thing that we took away from the presentation was just how much goes in to a mine. You know, you have the mining operations itself, you have all the equipment, all the machinery, like you said, the topography, make sure that, you know, you're in safe environments. So it really is interesting. And you guys do collect a lot of data. So it's interesting to see what you're able to do with it now. And, you know, following up with that, I know that machine learning can be very powerful with helping humans do more than they ever could on their own. You know, you guys collect a lot of data. And one thing that we talk about is that machines are really good at processing large amounts of data. But you also have a lot of knowledgeable experts in the workforce who have been doing this for a really long time. So how do you integrate the knowledge of these humans into machine learning to give it a quote-unquote leg up instead of having AI figuring out everything from scratch? That's a really good question. You hear often in prognostics conferences and around like we've got that fantastic tool that's got a lot of potential, but we also have all that knowledge. So how do we bring both together? I guess I'll go through a few examples of 
how we dealt with that. And I'll probably highlight some of the aspects of that in our own experience. Uh, the first one, when we started, as I say, we had a lot of data and very few analytics. So we went and did something that's called data dredging. It's people kind of scoff at this because the idea is where you take your whole data set and you blindly go and look for any correlation, anything that seems related. You consider it to be a pattern and you make a model out of this. And then how you use it is if you see that pattern, it suddenly becomes broken. You know you have a problem or you know something's changed and you should probably look into it. So it's a really simple concept. We implemented that and we turned out it was a bit too simple of a concept because as most people who are knowledgeable in that will tell you you've got something called spurious correlation, which is correlation you just see in your data set out of pure luck. So they're not real correlation, they just appear. We were quite lucky because we had a lot of data and because it's not consumers in marketing, they're machines, so things usually correlate really well when it's related or not at all if it's not. But so we had something that sort of worked, but it, we still had a lot of false positive. It was a little bit too much. And that's how I decided to go around the office and ask advice from people, tell them what we'd done. And they actually gave us a lot of little insider tips. One of the best one where they explained how all of the sensor names or all the metrics or tags we were getting had a naming convention, and we could leverage that naming convention to get rid of spurious correlation. They told us when not to look at data because the machine was in a certain configuration. That would mean it would be totally different patterns. So we end up with a really good algorithm in the end where I guess the statistic and the data mining did 80% of the heavy lifting. And we had very few rules, but they were very on point. And they helped us get that last 20%, which means we had an algorithm that was really reliable. And suddenly we were finding problems that people didn't know about because that's what that anomaly algorithm did. So that's just a way to combine the two and get some good results. I guess on the more, on the other hand, there's another experiment we did. We had a problem, which was to recognize what the operators are doing with the machine. So the operator has joysticks on a digging machine, and they can pretty much do what they want with the joysticks, dig whichever way we want. Every operator does it differently, and we want to get number to see how long it takes for an operator to complete a cycle. So we needed a model that did those cycle and activity recognition. So we decided to go with a typical machine learning approach where one of our experts would label a big data set. So we take an hour's worth of data and the expert wrote down, at this time, the operator is digging. At this time, the operator is swinging. There, he's just dumped the bucket into a truck. And most importantly, we ask him, okay, what information do you use to make those decisions? And he gave us a list of really important trends to look at. And that was probably the most useful insight because instead of having to feed the whole data set and get the machine learning to really brute force the problem, we were down to only 10 trends. And we could really do good feature engineering on those trends that's extracting more data out of those trends. So it worked really well. We had a high success until there was an operator that wasn't doing it the way 99% of the operators do it. And that's where I realized our expert had given us bias. And it's a common thing with expert that if your expert is biased, your model ends up having bias. Our expert told us, 
look at those button presses because they're a really good indicator of what the machine's doing. So we engineered a lot of features around those button presses. But suddenly we came across an operator that did not use those buttons and algorithm was at a loss. And because our expert had also chosen the training set, he picked a training set that matched his view of how the machine should be operated. So that was a good lesson for us to not rely on them too much or take it with a pinch of salt. The final thing with my interaction with those experts is the human factor. Interesting, I find they're more often interesting in telling you a story about how the machine works, how they see things. And you have to get across to them that you don't, you're not building an algorithm. You just want training data from them. And the algorithm will build the logic for you and it'll build probably the best logic ever. And one of the experts wouldn't believe me, so we did a sort of experiment where I told him, well, build me a simplistic logic for what you're trying to do, but also take half an hour's worth of data and label it as you see fit. So he did that. I took the data set and run a decision tree. It's like a very simple uh -huh. uh, algorithm that generates human readable logic. And so a while after, I showed him the logic that came out of the decision tree and compared it with with his logic and I guess he had a moment of silence and, and it's like, oh, yeah, that would work probably better. So yeah, <laughs> right. that was the interesting bit. The algorithm had basically done the thing in reverse. So instead of saying, look for this, this, and that, the algorithm said, well, the absence of this, this, and that indicates that. And it, it turned out that looking at the absence of certain factors was a more robust way to do things. So yeah, that's my experience trying to combine both. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. And we hear that a lot from people who are trying to say, well, you know, humans are good at certain things, right? Good at some of the things that Kathleen mentioned, you know, have good emotional IQ and common sense and intuition. Yeah, common sense, we hope, right? <laughs> <laughs> we hope, right. And, and of course, it's experience you know, built over just like, you know, maybe doing that job for a really long period of time. You just kind of just kind of know what it's like. And of course, machines can't, you know, haven't had that experience and built it up. And just the way that machines learn is obviously as much as we're improving those algorithms, they don't really learn the way that humans learn. We haven't quite figured out exactly how humans learn anyway. So yeah, this is the, the kind of thing. And, and as a matter of fact, you mentioned that blending the two together is definitely helpful. You know, of course, if you're blending the best of the two together, right? the machine's ability to handle large volumes of data and do correlation and find, you know, great pattern matching and found outliers and you know, what you just mentioned about, about finding the absence of things is probably a better approach than trying to find the presence of things. All that's great, you know, as long as you, do, you eliminate some of the downsides to, to what humans are good at. You know, obviously, you mentioned about bias. You know, sometimes, you know, pattern matching and the way that humans think is not always good because we kind of get stuck into thinking things in a certain way that may not be the right way. So, you know, we, at Cognolytica, we talk about this, this concept of augmented intelligence as the blending of human and AI capabilities so the artificial becomes more augmented. So talk a little bit about how Komatsu is implementing this idea of augmented intelligence. You kind of hinted about it and uh, talked about some scenarios here, but have you like put any programs into place? You know, what is your strategy, your strategic thinking about augmented intelligence? Yeah, sure. So to start with, if I can do a medical analogy, I think if I was going to the doctor, I wouldn't mind analytics to look at some of my results and look into very high detail of whatever the diagnostics tool I've given. But I would still only trust a trained doctor to make a diagnosis and put all of those pieces of information together and 
make the best decision for me. So we've sort of taken the same approach because after all, you know, my example was about human health, but most of what we do is the, the health of a piece of machinery. So we leave analytics for those high focus tasks, which humans would find really boring. Looking at data like a shovel has 700 trends that go out 24 hours. A human could just not doing that for an analytic. It's easy work. If we got our machine expert to do that, the results would really depend on how much caffeine is in their blood. Whereas those experts, if they're provided with all of these signals, all of these diagnostics tools, I always found they're really good at coming up with solution or a possible scenario things to further investigate by on-site people and a way to solve the problems. Uh, and I think just like a doctor, that's what they do. Our machines are quite complex. They have a lot of moving parts. Uh, there's a lot that can go on on these machines in terms of health. All of those are, all these machines are slightly different. They operate in different conditions. So I think for us to do automated diagnosis with Machine learning will be very difficult because the examples are rare. They don't look like one another. In my mind, a human expert will do the job more accurately and faster at this stage. So I see analytics as decision support system that sort of augment our experts. They're analytics that will help expert get the entire picture, the complete overview of the machine, understand every part of the problem, and ultimately deliver the best solution for a customer. Great. So Great. I know that we had talked about how you know, minds just have a lot of moving parts. They have you know data about the topography, like we said, the machines itself. So, And I know you said that there's a lot of sensors involved as well. So Komatsu is using Internet of Things in combination with AI and ML to enable a large range of capabilities. So what can you tell us about, you know, how you're using IoT and AI and maybe give some examples? Sure. So one of the consideration in the mind is that a good network is not something you can take for granted. If you're underground, in some mines, you just can't have Wi-Fi because the material around you absorbs it. Even if you're on surface mining, you're at the bottom of a pit, so you can't really use cellular networks. You got to deploy your own uh, Wi-Fi networks, and there'll always be blind spots somewhere. So I think IoT is really good because instead of having all your analytics running in the cloud, you can move some of your analytics a lot closer to the machine. So you can have alerts or analytics done on the machine, and it's like a closed loop. The operator can get the information immediately, even if your network experiences issues. That's a big win for us. So I touched on this. The additional advantage is very low latency. So if you imagine on a shovel, so it's like a piece of equipment that we manufacture that basically digs and shifts dirt into a truck. They operate on a cycle time of roughly 30 seconds. So it takes them 30 seconds to dig the face, dump the content of the dipper in the truck, and swing back to the face and be ready to go for a next cycle, basically. So that's every 30 seconds. So one thing we're working on is to give operator feedback. So we want to give them, almost turn it into a game where the operator say, we tell the operator you've done extremely well at that cycle. And if you think of that, you almost don't really have time to go through that high latency and unreliable network all the way into the cloud and then download the results. 
back down to the machine to display a score or a result to the operator. And obviously, if you give the results one cycle later, or if you, if you give the result while the operator is in the middle of the next cycle, it's really disruptive and it's not relevant anymore. They'll do thousands of cycles in a day. So you really need to give that feedback as soon as the operator is done with that cycle. So that's another thing where I think IoT will help us. The last thing is that we previously just had one machine controller, which basically supervises the entire machine. That was our own computer in the machine. So having IoT means we'll have other computers on the machine. And it'll be easier for us to deploy analytics there because if you think of it, the main computer is safety critical. It's what runs the machine. It's what sets the brakes. It's what's there to prevent to trigger the safety systems. So if we wanted to put an analytic on there, the software team would have to thoroughly review every piece of software that go there and test all possible safety scenario to make sure things pass. So having another computer that we can remotely access, remotely download analytics from to run on the machine is really good. If I, if I can come up with an example, if you imagine, you know, your in-flight entertainment was run by the same computer that runs the autopilot on your plane, that would be a nightmare because if you want to download a new movie, you'd have to retest that super safety critical software. So likewise for us, it sort of decouples things. We can leave the safety critical things alone and IoT helps us deploy analytics right on the edge without all the engineering and safety overhead. Mm. Well, this is definitely a great vision. I think people just don't realize how advanced and how technologically mature what's happening in the mining industry and just how much, you know, the technology that, that may actually be, be, in some cases, simpler sitting in the server racks in the enterprise need to be much more complicated, much more robust, you know, much more sophisticated and much more challenging environment in sort of the mine. And so actually it may push us companies to really think through a lot of the development that they're doing here and, and maybe take a look at what's happening at, at folks like Komatsu as an example for what they can do in their enterprise. So anyway, as a final note, you know, what do you believe is the future of AI in general and its applications to corporations and beyond? I think I'm going to start by narrowing your question a bit before I widen it again. So going back to the mining context, most of the analytics we do now are around maintenance. And that's probably because we can always check or verify what the algorithm told us. We can go on the machine. The algorithm says it's worn out. We can go on the machine and check that it's worn out. The new horizon for us will be to use AI to come up with strategies and stuff that we just can't really verify that easily. So in particular, I'm talking about reinforcement learning. I read recently that someone did an experiment where they took the Mario Bros. game, console game, and they basically told an AI, you can jump, you can go backwards, you can go forward. Your aim is to get as many points as you can, avoid dying, and doing it as fast as you can. And that's all they said. And they basically let the AI play Mario. And after a few iterations of that, the AI had basically understood how, like the base concept of the game, that you got to pick the coins and avoid certain things. And then after a few more runs, or probably several more runs, the AI finished the complete game. And that's without anyone ever telling what Mario was ever about. So 
respect to mining, as you said, they're really complex and integrated systems. So if you think you know, it all starts with planning where you put your roads, how you access things, and then how you decide to dig it, how you decide to shift the dirt into your plants, how your plants are layered, and you can go all the way to the port, how you load your ships, and everything is coupled. Like if you change the layout of your mine, you can't extract dirt at the same speed. Everything has a knock-on effect. So I'm wondering if the, the future is to get reinforcement learning to play around with all those adjustment knobs and those knobs being very related to one another and basically turn mining planning into a game and let an AI play with it until it, it finds a strategy. And maybe out of that will come completely new strategies that we never thought of because at the moment, it's so complicated that people follow industry standard or previous experience. There's very little scientific process in doing this. Uh, I guess the challenge in that will be to make a, a replica of a mind, like a simulator, where that artificial intelligence could play without obviously any safety implication or without any money or loss of production implication. So yeah, I think that's probably the next frontier for us. And I think there's a lot of applications, similar applications out of this where we've been using AI to help us make decisions or do things that we can check. And the next thing will be to make it do complex decision or complex optimization that when we look at the result, we can't even tell if it's right or wrong, but we just have to give it a go. Mm, okay. Yeah, Antoine, thank you so much for that answer. That was very insightful. And it's interesting to hear how different industries are using AI in particular to, you know, move their business forward. And Kamatsu seems to, you know, really be doing that with the digital mind. So thank you so much for joining us on this podcast today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you very much for sharing your feedback and sharing your thoughts. We really appreciate you joining us on this podcast. Thank you. And listeners, as always, we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Fiverr.com. Fiverr is a marketplace for creative and digital freelance services. And in fact, I use Fiverr for quite a lot of the things that we do here at Cognolytica and AI Today, including the editing of this podcast, the generation of transcripts, and more. I definitely encourage you to take a look at using Fiverr for your creative and digital needs today. And I have a special offer for you today. Use the promo code AI Today for 15% off your first purchase on Fiverr.com. Offer valid until December 31st, 2018. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group and make sure to join the Cognolitica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright 2018 by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.